again, and we need to, well, if you go to Joshua chapter 3, Joshua chapter 3, Deuteronomy, Joshua chapter 3, and I'm going to go to Romans chapter 12, because I just want to read one verse uh, here. Romans 12 and 1, I'm going to read. Uh, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Could you just hit the pause button there for a second, Tony? Button again. Joshua chapter 3. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from the Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about two thousand cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Gergashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, uh, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. And so it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water for the Jordan overflows its banks, all its banks during the whole time of harvest that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zaratan. So the waters that went down into the sea of the Arabah and the salt sea filled and were cut off and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground and in the midst of the Jordan and all Israel crossed over on dry ground and all the people and to all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Amen. The children of Israel... Under Joshua's leadership, remember Moses had died and Joshua now is the leader. And he instructed them, as you saw, to leave the Acacia Grove and to go and move towards the Jordan and to camp close by the Jordan. Now this is about uh, a range of about 10 miles away. And whenever they would get there, it would take about a day to get there and then they would rest for a day. And then on the third day, that's when they would cross over the Jordan And that's when they would attack Jericho, which was just a little way over the Jordan River. Now, God had already given them assurance that when they would get to Jericho, that great wall city, that it would would utterly fail. 
that they would win this battle for sure, and that they would have the victory. They had the assurance of that because previously they'd sent out the two spies, and the two spies come back with the report that the people in Jericho were frightened because of the children of Israel. Remember, there's, there's almost a million of the children of Israel, almost a million people coming against Jericho. And so no wonder they were afraid and the reputation of the Israelites had gone before them. And so, so far, so good. Only one outstanding thing remained. That was they had to cross the Jordan River. At this time, as we read, it was harvest time and all of its banks had swollen. And so where it would normally be maybe 100 feet wide, it's now possibly a mile wide, and it's very, very deep. And so this was going to be a great challenge of their faith uh, to do this. The children of Israel are about to break with their past and enter into their future. The 40 years of wandering in the wilderness is now over. And so it's a new time for them. Just hold on a second here. I just need to get... And so they're about to... uh, enter into their new future and claim their inheritance. And that's why it's a good time to preach on this particular chapter and this particular day, which is the first Sunday of a brand new year. And we are entering into our future and we got to embrace our and claim our inheritance in Christ. What's past is past, for good or for ill. It's past, and you can't unscramble eggs. Sure you can't. So we have to move forward in Christ and claim our inheritance. And so they set up camp, and they prepared themselves to cross over Jordan to take the land that God had promised. And in doing so, and in doing so, they would have to do what Paul said in Romans 12 and 1, to present their bodies as a living sacrifice. And that's what we have got to do entering into this new year. We have got to present our bodies. That's the title of the message today. To present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now let's see what Joshua, their commander-in-chief, says to them and believe what our commander-in-chief, the Lord Jesus, is saying to us. And so presenting our bodies to the Lord Obviously, that can be taken in a very literal sense uh, because God uses us in our bodies. Uh, But I want to speak a little bit more figuratively this morning, even though it is literal too. First of all, he says in verse 5, sanctify yourselves. Sanctify yourselves. Now, this speaks of the heart of consecration. Sanctify yourselves. Consecrate yourselves. Now, this for them would involve washing of their bodies, washing of their clothes, setting themselves apart. To be sanctified means to to be set apart for a holy use. Anything can be sanctified, set apart for a holy use. This particular pulpit I stand behind each Sunday was 100 years ago was old school desk but now has been sanctified and has been set apart for a holy use. We use it for no other use other than to preach the word of God from. And whenever our lives are sanctified, that means we are separated, we're set apart for a holy use. When you get born again of God's spirit, then you are sanctified and set apart for a holy use. But the process It's a process as well because each day we're being sanctified. Each day we're being separated unto God for a holy use. And so that's what sanctification actually means. Putting all on the altar for God. Dedicating our lives, rededicating our lives unto the Lord. In any spiritual venture that we're about to take part in, it's always good to take stock of ourselves. It's always good to look into our hearts and make sure that we're consecrated, that we're set apart unto them. And so they get ready and they have a base camp at Gilgal and uh, they're getting ready uh, to make this onward journey. Before they would attack uh, Jericho, there was consecration before there was confrontation. There was worship before there was warfare. 
And there was separation before there was in strife. Now listen, the most important thing in securing our inheritance and possessing our possessions and claiming our inheritance is to make sure our hearts are right before God. The heart, Jeremiah says, is deceitfully wicked. Above all things, who can know it? And it's surprising what lurks in our hearts, isn't it? You think your heart's clean, you think your heart's pure, and suddenly something comes out of it that you never expected. Something rises up that you never imagined you would say or you would do. And so that's why we have got to make sure that our hearts are consecrated, that we check ourselves, that we take spiritual inventory from time to time. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it flows the issues of life. Jesus said a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, but an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. And so it's mightily important that before we do anything else in this year that we look into our own hearts. Before we look into anybody else's heart, by the way, we look into our own hearts and we set ourselves apart and we consecrate ourselves for the year ahead, for the days that lie ahead. Because if we don't and we carry in our hearts all that old stuff that rises up all the time, if we don't deal with that, then we'll go through this year, maybe the way we went through last year and the year before, in this past 20 years. We need to deal with the heart issues. The issue of the heart is the heart of the issue. I know it's a cliche, but it's absolutely true. The issue of the heart is the heart of the issue. Dealing with the heart. It's not so easy. Sure it's not. Sometimes we surprise ourselves with what's in our hearts whenever we really check the thing. Anybody that fasts, for example... Anybody that's undertaken fasts, you may do it for a variety of reasons, and that's fine. But if you do any fasts, the first thing, if you're sincere about it, and if it's done for any length of time at all, even though no matter what you've set out to pray for, you'll find that the Holy Spirit will start dealing with your heart first. Before, before you ever get to what you need and what you want and what you desire, the Holy Spirit knows our hearts better than we know it. And that's the first thing he begins to deal with. And he puts his finger on certain things and says, well, what about this? And what about that? And what about the other? And then we have to deal with those. And so he said, sanctify yourselves. Get ready. Cleanse yourselves, in other words. They had to do waters of purification. Had to wash their bodies and had to wash their clothes. Those who were married had to keep themselves separately in that physical sense for a while, so that they were sanctified, separate unto the Lord, before they ever were to face Jericho. Now there was over a, about, roughly about a million of them, and they knew that Jericho was frightened, and they knew that physically, they knew that as far as warriors are concerned, they knew they could take them, but they weren't going to depend on that. They were going to trust that their hearts was right. Because isn't it interesting, after they took that great walled city of Jericho, the next city they had to take was a tiny little city. And they thought, this is no problem, this is easy. We're taking Jericho, the big walled city, this little AI's little easy city to take. And that's where they met their first failure. Because they didn't sanctify themselves. Their heart weren't right. And then secondly, there is the eyes of expectation. Present your bodies. The heart the eyes, verse 5, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. They were looking for God to do something. They had seen his hand work in the past. Now this is a different generation that spoke to go in than the generation that left Egypt. But they had heard the stories they had been told them. They had been handed down. They knew the history of the time in Egypt. They knew how God brought them out with a mighty hand. They knew about all the miracles that their forefathers had seen. They knew about the Red Sea opening up. They knew all of that. And so there was expectation here. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. They were looking for God to move as he had done in the past. And they were needing God to do it now and in the future. They had hope 
for the future. Tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you. Do you have hope for tomorrow? Now, you may look back at the past and say, well, that doesn't give me much hope. But you've got to have expectation. You've got to have hope for tomorrow. You've got to believe that the Lord can do and will do today and tomorrow. Hebrews 12 and 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. If he's the author of it, he'll be the finisher of it. Are you believing for something? Are you believing for someone? Has God put that faith in your heart to believe? If he's the author of it, he'll be the finisher of it. 2 Corinthians 4.18 While we look not at the things which are seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Faith sees what logic and the reasoning powers and the human mind cannot see. Faith sees the hand of God. Faith trusts a God in whom we have never seen. Psalmist says, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills for whence comes my help. My help comes from the name of the Lord. Micah said in verse 7, chapter 7, Therefore I will look unto the Lord. Are we looking forward? Are we looking ahead with any kind of expectation? Or are we simply resigning ourselves that this is the way it's always going to be? Because it's easy to fall into that trap, isn't it? No, we're going to look ahead and say, God, we want to see your hand move in our lives, in our situations, in our churches, in our families, in our jobs, in our bodies, whatever it is that we need, we're going to look unto the Lord for tomorrow I will do wonders among you. Luke 9.62, Jesus said, He who looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Remember Lot's wife. He who looks back. You need to be careful you're constantly looking back. Always, always looking back. It's over. It's gone. It's never going to come back. We need to look forward. You may have an opportunity to go back if you keep looking back, the Bible says. So you've got to look forward. You've got to trust the Lord for better and brighter and greater days ahead. And then there are the ears of obedience. Verse 6 and 9, And Joshua spoke unto the priests, saying, And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hear the words of the Lord your God. And verse 6, So they took up the ark of the covenant. They heard and they obeyed. They heard and they obeyed. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they know my voice. Are you listening? Are you listening for the voice of the Lord? Are you listening for his whispers to your heart? Are you listening? Are you hearing? And then are we obeying? Because if God keeps speaking the same thing over and over and we don't obey, then he'll stop speaking it. So we need to do it. Listen and then do it. Little Samuel, he'd never heard God speak before. He didn't know what it was. He was lying in one room. Old Eli, the priest, was in another room. He thought it was Eli shouting at him. And so three times he went in and he says, Eli, what do you want? And then Eli realized God's speaking to him and he doesn't understand that yet. So he says, you go back in again. And if you hear that voice again, you say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. And that's exactly what he did. And God spoke to that young boy and gave him such a powerful message to preach. He says, all the ears of Israel will tingle when they hear this news. Speak, Lord. I'm listening. Saul of Tarsus, 
whenever he met the road, Lord on the road to Damascus. Remember what he says, Lord, what will you have me do? He was anxious to know. He was anxious to hear what God was going to say. Are we anxious to know? Do we want to hear what the Lord's going to say? Psalm 85 and 8, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. We need to listen for the voice of God's direction. This is the way, walk you in it. Now you'll find over the course of your life, and particularly the course of your Christian life, you'll find there's going to be times you'll come to crossroads. And you need to know which one to take. What way do I go here? I have a decision to make that could affect not only my life, but my family's life, the fact me forever after this, I have got to make the right decision and the right choice. Boy, we need to hear then, don't we? We really, really need to hear and need to know. And if we're sincerely asking the Lord, He will show us. He will tell us. Now, you're not going to hear an audible voice. You may or may not. Most people will never hear an audible voice in their life. But you'll get a distinct, clear impression And the Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And so he will help us and steer us and direct us in the way that we should go. This is the way, walk you in it. Let's hear the voice of God's correction. Not just his direction, but his correction. We need to be corrected, don't we? Because we don't always do the right thing. Proverbs 15, 31, the ears that hear the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. We desperately want our children to obey, don't we? And we get very frustrated when they don't. Isn't that so? Hmm? And sometimes we resort to measures. Ground it. You're grounded for a month. And they look at you in spite as if to say, no, I'm not. You'll cave in after half an hour. (laughs) Nobody likes correction. She don't. Nobody, we get get very defensive, don't we? All of us do. And I found out over 34 years of pastoring that no matter who you have to correct, no matter who it is, Almost 100%, the first reaction is defensiveness. So you have to allow for that and give it a little bit of space until they think it through. And people who are truly spiritual will realize the reason for it and receive it in the spirit that it's given. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time because none of us like to be corrected. But God corrects us. God, Bible says, chastens whom he loves. And if he doesn't chasten us, he says, you're illegitimate. You're not my child. I chasten those whom I love. And we do that for our children, for their sake, don't we? For their sake. So we need to listen to the voice of God's direction. We need to listen to the voice of God's correction. We need to listen to the voice of God's wisdom. Proverbs 8, 34, Blessed is the man that hears me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. The book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. Heaven sent wisdom. The book of Ecclesiastes is worldly wisdom. Over and over again, The writer of Ecclesiastes says, And I saw under the sun. As a man looking at things from a worldly standpoint, but the book of Proverbs is from above the sun. It's heaven sent wisdom. Do you read the book of Proverbs? There's one chapter for every day of the month. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. I should do a series on it. It's a great book. Proverbs chapter 4. Verse 1, hear my children the instruction of a father and give attention to no understanding. 
For I will give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all your understanding, and all your getting, get understanding. Exalt her and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. Hear my son and receive my sayings and the years of your, youth, years of your life will be many. For I have taught you in the ways of wisdom and I have led you in right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered and when you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go. Keep her for she is your life. Let's get wisdom. Let's get understanding. 1 Corinthians one twenty four. Christ, Paul says, is the power of God and he is the wisdom of God. And then verse 6 says, Take up the ark of the covenant. This is the shoulder of responsibility. You and I as believers today, we have a responsibility to carry, to shoulder holy things. Second Samuel 6, the Philistines had stolen away the Ark of the Covenant. And David and his men recaptured it. And if you read the story, they take it out of the house of Abinadab and they put it, it says, on a new cart. <coughs> Big mistake. They put it on a new cart and they drove it away. And they got to a certain place and the road was uneven and the cart began to move and one of Abinadab's son put up his hand, Uzzah, to steady the ark, and God struck him dead. It was not to be touched. David was angry. He says, God has made a breach in Uzzah. Then it was put into the house of Obed-Edom. And David and his men left it there for three months. And then the word came back that God had blessed the house of Obed-Edom. So they went back to get it. But this time, this time, it would not be put in a new cart. This time, they would do it the way that the scriptures had instructed them to do it. And that was that the priests would carry it on poles on their shoulders. It was to be born on men's shoulders, not in a new cart driven by oxen. And they came back to Jerusalem with great rejoicing, and David was dancing. That was a wonderful time. The flutes were playing and the band struck up. It was great. Because they were doing it the right way. There's a way to carry the presence of God, the anointing of God. The ark stood for the presence of God. Whenever the ark was in its place in the tabernacle, the Shekinah glory of God came between the cherubims above the seat of the ark. And there's a way for us to carry a scriptural way, a biblical way. There's lots of new carts that's been invented to try to carry the presence of God. And it's not good. There's the Bible way. And it's for us our responsibility for us to carry the presence of God, for us to carry the anointing of God. And so it's got to be done right. We are the ones who've got to hold up and lift up and keep up. The Bible speaks about the ministry of helps 
in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, the ministry of helps. The work of God in local churches is by and large carried out by the ministry of helps. They're the ones who shoulder the responsibilities. I'm not repeated again, but I told you a few weeks ago how many people on any given Sunday morning in this church, and this goes for every church, who are involved physically, practically to make this happen. And if they didn't do it, it wouldn't happen. You'd come in here and this platform would be empty. But they shoulder the responsibility. They carry the responsibility of holy things, of doing it for the kingdom of God. Whenever the apostle Paul in Acts 27 whenever he was on that ship and how that it was being tossed by great waves and winds, the great tempest had blown and they feared for their lives until Paul intervened and calmed everything down because he had heard from heaven. But they were literally fearing for their lives and they were throwing stuff overboard to try to lighten the ship. And it says, and they, in verse 17, it says they used, now the King James uses this word, they used helps undergirding the ship. Some of your translation says cables. Some of your translation says ropes. Some says in the margin, frapping. And it all means the same thing, cables or ropes. And what they would do is they would throw it over the bow of the ship, underneath the ship, and then tie it to try to keep that ship together so the waves wouldn't break it up. And that's what Ministry of Helps does. They tie everything together. Everything's cabled together. Everything's kept together because they get under the load. And God has given us responsibility in a personal way to carry the anointing of God, the presence of God, but also corporately to carry the church and to hold it up and to make sure it's working and it works well. If everybody plays their part, it's great. And then in verse 6 again, Then Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. Present your bodies. Here are the legs of leadership. Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. Verse 3 and 4. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. But there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. In short, the priests, the Levites, were to go ahead. They were to make a way for others to follow. There was to be a space between them and the rest that was following. Believers, especially Christian leaders, ought to be leading the way, ought to be setting the standard for others to follow, ought to be doing that. Be that on the job or in the home or in the business or amongst our neighbors or at the school or in the uni, wherever it may be, if you are a believer in Christ, then you need to set the standard. That's the biblical way. There should be a gap between us and the rest. So much worldliness has come into the church today that it's just grieves my heart to see and I'm sure it grieves the heart of the Holy Spirit I'm talking about professing Christians and their language is coarse ought not to be at the very least our mouth ought to be clean amen Professing Christians, sometimes the man, the, the, the 
man who built our home told me, and he was a Christian, him and his partner, both of them, two men, they were Christians. They had the building homes. They still build them to this day. And he told me one time, he says, for a long time, he says, we just employed, we tried at best to just employ Christians. He says, in the end, he says, I had to get rid of most of them. He says, that all they wanted to do was talk at church. He says, I couldn't get them to work. He says, I'm paying them good money to work, to build a house for people. And he says, they'd come in, they talked about church the night before for about an hour before they started. He says, I was at church the night before, but he says, what about this people's house we're building? <laughs> They're waiting on it. And he says, the matters of many times, they looked at me and said, well, we're talking about the Lord. Oh, well, that's good, talk about the Lord when you go home. Talk to your wife about the Lord, that's fine. Or talk to your mate here about the Lord, but keep working while you're doing it. <laughs> He says, in the end, he says, tell you the truth, I don't employ many Christians now. He says, because all they do want to talk about church. <laughs> it's not a bad example. You're looking at me as if there's something wrong with it. But if you're an employer, there's nothing wrong with it. You want the job done. Yes, you can talk about the Lord if you're allowed to. In some jobs you can't. You'd be sacked if you did. But if you can, fine, but do your work. Be a good example. Be a good example in dress. Do not dress provocatively. Don't do it. Because eyes will be upon you. Do not do it. Question. What has celebrities like Katy Perry and Mighty Cyrus, Justin Bieber, Garth Gates, in the late Whistney Houston, what have they all got in common? Anybody know? All of them professed Christ at one time or other. Most of them, if not all of them, grew up in church singing in the choir or singing in the worship team. Where are they today, spiritually? Nowhere, sadly. Why? Because they compromised. They looked at their profession and they looked at Christ. Christ got into the way of their profession, so they compromised. They compromised. They got so caught up in their profession that they compromised their confession. And that's the sad, tragic part about it. Katy Perry recently said, I no longer believe in heaven and hell. I don't believe in an old man sitting on a throne with a beard. But I believe in a higher power, whatever that is. And I still pray. To whom do you pray? Sadly and tragically, she has lost her way. You can only hope that she'll find it someday and see the nonsense that she's involved in. Because if he doesn't, it will destroy her life. Whitney Houston's life was destroyed. Arguably one of the greatest singers, woman, lady singers uh, in her generation who used to sing in church the praises of God and ended up dying in a drug overdose. Isn't that sad? Isn't that tragic? Isn't that awful? Because of worldliness, it just begins to take over. Young Garth Gates used to sing and lead worship in the Bradford Church. Got involved in that industry. Supposedly will give a witness for Christ. What happened? Profession got in the way of confession. It's never heard of again. And so we need to keep a distance, a separation. Does that mean we shouldn't bother with those who are not believers? Absolutely not. Jesus whined. Jesus had lunches and dinners with the tax collectors, the most hated in society, the most despised people. Zacchaeus, come down. Today I must have bet at your house. That was a shower for everybody. But he was there to win them. He wasn't there to compromise with them. He was there to win them. Yes. Don't cut yourself off from unbelievers. We're not meant to do that. We're not meant to live in isolation. But try to reach them 
and set a standard, make an example. Then there's the feet of faith. Soon be through here. Verse 13. The soles of the priest's feet were put, were, were to rest in the Jordan first. Notice that. The soles of the priest's feet were to rest in the Jordan first. Faith is prepared to get its feet wet. Faith is prepared to go to the very brink. Now listen. We read earlier that the Jordan overflows all its banks at harvest time. So here are the priests under strict orders from Joshua, who got it from God, to go right to the edge of the water. But don't just stand there. Actually put your feet in the water. Get your feet wet. So here they are. They're carrying the ark. They go to the very edge of the water. Now notice very carefully what it says in verse 16. That away upstream in the city of Adam, which is 30 miles away, whenever they put their feet in the water, I imagine they're standing maybe up to their ankles or maybe up to their knees. They're standing there looking at this great body of water and they can't see that at that very moment, 30 miles away in the city of Adam, God was doing something miraculous beyond their sight, beyond their natural ability to see. And that's how faith operates. Because 30 miles away, God was causing that water to stop flowing downstream. And it was rising up in a great heap like a great wall. And they stood there until the water had receded. And then they went through and they stood in the middle on dry ground. Whenever we believe for something, we can't see what God's doing on the other side. It's beyond our sight. Now this is different than whenever they cross, when, the, when their forefathers crossed the Red Sea. When you read that in Exodus, you'll see that Moses held out his hands over the Red Sea all night and it says a strong east wind blew all night until the waters had stood up in a heap. And so the children of Israel in their tents listening to that great wind blowing all night, no Moses was standing out there knowing that God was blowing the waters. But this is different this time. They can't see anything. They can't feel anything. There's no wind blowing. They're just standing there. But out of their sight, beyond what they can see and what they can feel and what they can hear and what they can sense, beyond all of that, God is working upstream. And that's how faith works. God is working upstream in our lives. God's working ahead of us at the moment. And there's going to be times he'll take you right to the very brink and you'll not see a thing and you'll not feel a thing and you'll not hear a thing that God's moving somewhere else on your behalf. And he's making things work because you've taken that step of faith. You've obeyed him. You've done what he's asked you to do. Now he does the rest. Amen? Verse 17. They were to stand in the midst of the Jordan while the rest passed through. Feet of intercession. Nearly a million people had to pass through and those priests had to stand there and allow the others to come through on dry ground. There's going to be people in your life that you'll have to stand in the gap for. You'll have to intercede for for them to pass through on dry ground. You'll be the one who'll have to pray. You'll be the one who'll have to constantly, continually hold them up before the throne of grace and prayer until they pass through. The 34 years that this church has been going, a lot of people has passed through. Often for legitimate reasons. Get married, move on, get a different job, leave the country, whatever. But for a while... They were here, and some of us has been here from the beginning. We had to stand firm 
and let them pass through and pray for them and preach to them and put something into them and help them get through life until they moved on. And God calls us to do these things, to stand in the gap for others. And enters the feet of faithfulness because the time will not read it, but in chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, the priests had to go in there and they had to stand firm. How long did they stand? Don't know, probably quite a while. Take a while for nearly a million people to get across, wouldn't it? And so they had to stand. They had to be very, very faithful in what they were doing. Now, some people's got wandering feet. They don't stay long in the one place. They don't stand still very long. Always on the go. They're like will-o'-the-wisps. <laughs> Hard to pin down. A couple have come into the church uh, I think they've only ever visited once or twice, sat at the back and after a Sunday night service, went over to talk to them, as I would do, naturally. Said, lovely to see you here tonight. Thanks for coming, visiting. I said, uh, where do you normally worship? Because that's what I normally say. And they looked at each other and they says, uh, well, we, we, we just like to go around trying different places. I'll not, I'll not even go down the road what I said to him. <laughs> you don't want to know. No understanding of the body of Christ. No understanding of local church life. None whatsoever. We just like to be free spirits just to go all over the churches, all over the place. And everybody did that. You wouldn't have church. You wouldn't. Imagine men here Sunday morning, everybody on this platform, we all just say, ah, we'll just go somewhere else today. We'll just take off and we'll just, ah, come aboard. We'll just, eh. You come in here, you'd be a big row, wouldn't you? We'd be all, you'd be lynching us next week. It's good when you can stand firm, isn't it? Yes, God can move us on. Yes, things can change. Yes, our lives can change. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about general attitude sometimes. Sometimes you stand that long, your feet's sore. <laughs> you get sore feet. Men go shopping, they get very sore feet. I think the man in the Rushmere Center who invented all those chairs, who had the idea of putting all those chairs out for the men, I think he should be given a medal. <laughs> An award should be made to that man. Every mall in the country should have a whole row of seats and settees all the way up the mall for all the men to sit and read their paper and then their wives can go in and shop for hours if they want. doesn't bother us. We're sitting comfortably, thank you very much. Their feet's not sore. And sometimes spiritually, when you have to stand a long time in the one place, your feet get sore. But you're faithful. And you keep hanging in there. And you keep standing until everybody's through on the other side. Some of you have been standing a long time for your families. And you're trying to get them through safe to the other side. And your feet's getting sore because you've been standing a long time. Crying all that responsibility and prayer and intercession. But you keep on going on. You keep holding on. Then finally... Again, we'll not read it in chapter 4. There's 12 men appointed to take 12 stones out of the river and to go and to plant them, make a memorial. And then the place where the priest's feet stood, Joshua said, set up a, a cairn, if you will, of stones right there. And sure, it'll be head when the waters come over, but that's okay. God knows it's there. That's kind of stones over there. Everybody will see that. And when people pass by in years to come and say, what are these stones for? Then you tell them. This is the place where God done a mighty miracle. But where the priest stood, all covered over, but God knows. And God sees it. And God's marked it. 
Bible says, they that honor me, them will I honor. Let me make you a promise from God's word. If you honor God, he will honor you. That's absolutely guaranteed. Iron clasped. It will happen. He'll find a way to honor you. Whether that's in front of your family or your workmates or your community or whatever, he will find a way to honor you. And those priests that held those, that, that ark and those stones that were made up uh, for generations, they would look back and say, God did something great here. And those old priests stood in the midst of that river. And there's a pile of stones. I can imagine a father sending his wee boy, see over there in the middle of that Jordan sun, there's a pile of stones. We can't see them, but they're down there. Joshua made sure they're in there because we have to remember that God honors those that honor him. And so maybe this year God will find a way to honor you for your stand. Maybe this year your loved one will get saved. This could be the year. You're the one who had to stand all this time. But God will honor that stand. Maybe this is the year that God will bless you financially or physically or whatever way. He'll find a way to honor you. Present your bodies unto God, which is your reasonable service. Become a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. God speaking to you and it's not loud it's not out there it's not but you can hear it and I heard a voice this morning as pastor was preaching I heard it inside me and um, that voice said to me that that the year 2014 can be better for us than 2013 Several years ago, and Pastor can bear this out, we asked quite a few years ago, I don't know how long it was ago, we had two 40-day fasts, remember? And uh, this is not about fasting, so you can relax in case you're getting worried about that. It's not about that. But anybody that was involved in it will tell you that those lengthy periods of fast that we did were easy to do because the grace of God was there for it. And what the Spirit of God was speaking to me was we can do more and better in 2014 because there's going to be there's going to be grace for it. Now I don't know about you but I can tell you this personally and I'm because this was spoken to me but because I can't do things just by myself I wanted to share this with us this morning 2013 whilst I enjoyed Sunday services immensely you know I enjoy Sunday the rest of the forward movement that I know in my life stopped it was like I had a brick wall and I couldn't find my way through it there was no forward momentum there was no way through. I, I, I just couldn't get going anywhere. The things that I believe that we, you know, as a church, we should be moving forward and doing and being and being active. And it was an incredibly hard year for me in that sense. But I heard the voice speak to my heart this morning and said, 2014 can be different because there'll be grace for it in this year. I can't do things on my own. I'm dependent on a lot of you people that I have grown up with here. Your key, your key people in forward momentum and things that, that I, I believe that we should be doing. You are key people. And I, I need you in your place just as much as God needs me in the place that he has for me. But that scripture that Pastor mentioned a couple of times there about presenting your bodies, David as a living sacrifice it's the challenge I heard in my spirit for myself and for all of us is here it's very easy to be taken up doing your own thing 
anybody would agree with that? It's incredibly easy. Life can become very busy. You can build your own career. You can build your own homes. You can build, all of those things are legitimate. But if they take the place to where you get so busy doing that, that you can't get anything else done, God's house suffers. And uh, I, 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 I sense this and I want to just share it with you that God is challenging us in 2014. And the question he's asking us is, will you sacrifice? Will you set aside some of the own stuff so that you can dedicate your time and your effort in the position that you've been placed in? I find this very challenging. I don't know what it does to you. I can't make things real to you. Only the Holy Spirit can make things real. If the Holy Spirit doesn't make it real to you, it'll never be real. But I'm just telling you something real happened to me as pastor was preaching, sitting on that chair this morning. I heard it. 2014 could be different. It can be different. Because there's going to be grace for it. But the challenge is, as the word has as been coming out as pastor preached, whether we as the people of God are willing to sacrifice, present our bodies, present our time, present what we can do, and make ourselves available for the building of the kingdom of God. And that challenge is in this house this morning. Because I can feel it growing on me even as I'm speaking. I can feel it growing. It's so easy, church, to be consumed with this world. And I know that personally. As I said already, it's been a tough year. In that sense, I felt the grace of God this morning. I thought, yes, I can do it. But got to make ourselves available for it, all right? So I'm finding out out of some of you are key players in this here. And I, I, I want to share it with you because I can't do things on my own. But I felt that just from the preaching of the message, David, that was a wonderful word, brother. I appreciate you bringing that this morning. It just was a wonderful word. But the Spirit of God is witnessing to us as a church to make that sacrifice and make ourselves available to the Holy Spirit. Things are not hard to do when the grace of God's there. Amen. It's like that's why I said at the start that just about the fasting. Fasting, you I mean if you were saying to me, talk to me about a forty-day fast, I'm a drop. I couldn't get past four days for my 40. Uh, it's not there, you know, because the grace, but in that time that we had together, and I didn't do 40 days, the pastor did, but I, I don't know, lengthy periods. In the, it was easier to do. In fact, I think Raymond said at one point he had done some things and he found it easier to do because the grace was there for him. And that's what I'm feeling this morning. That encouraged me so much. I feel like this year the grace of God is there for forward movement. Uh, for us as a church, I strongly believe in corporate. I know there's little things going on in different places, but I am a strong believer in the body of Christ working together corporately, making things happen under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, God having his people in place and leadership. But I strongly believe in that. And I feel like if we just listen to the Holy Spirit, we can have some forward movement this year. Okay, I've given you my heart. I've spoke what I needed to say to you. Um, we just open our hearts and minds to God. Martin, come. I want you just to bring us and lead us in communion here this morning. Come to the table. It represents the greatest sacrifice where he gave his own life for us. Clifford said at the start and he started to talk about the praise and worship there about the beauty. Beauty and love beauty and all of these things that God has given and I was thinking how can beauty come out of such such a sacrifice but it did because us that are sitting here today washed in the blood of the Lamb He has made us beautiful He took the beatings He took the thorns He took the nails he took the lashes and we were given beauty. And this is what we come to remember this morning. The price that he paid 
to purchase salvation for you and I. He has made all things new and he has made them beautiful. This is the greatest sacrifice. And I can think, how can we not sacrifice to him? We are his. We are bought with a price. We belong to God. We belong to him. He has called us to his plan, to his purposes. Yes, he has blessed us. He has blessed us in, in, in many, many ways. But when he calls, we answer. We belong to him. He has purchased us with the price of his own blood. So we take the emblems this morning. Realize what they represent. The price that he has paid for our, our salvation. And that he is Lord. Oh, hey guys.